Support for the Game Podcast is brought to you by StarCityGames.com, the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies and home for the best strategy content on the web. If you would like to support the Game Podcast, feel free to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the G-A-M podcast. Welcome to episode 120 of the Game Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian, the Sarah Disciple Gottlieb. Uh, are you excited? I'm so excited. New modern cards? Are you kidding me? Straight to modern? Gloves are off. No consideration of what they're going to do with standard. And I feel like we're entering a crazy new stage of modern. Like This is a fundamental shift in what the format is about, what the format can do, what's going to happen. And I am chomping at the bit to see these cards although i was kind of underwhelmed by the first two but that's that's a little bit besides the point i'm still hyped for this set the first two were not ones i immediately saw as power players particularly sarah the benevolent but it's a beautiful card really cool to see a iconic figure of magic now be a planeswalker even if i don't believe it's going to necessarily set the constructed world on fire well i think i think the set is kind of serving multiple masters you know like obviously mm-hmm. you want you want cards to be viable and modern but it's like you have this product where you're able to make like a sarah planeswalker it's like that's something that i'm sure people have just wanted for a very long time right so it's like you kind of have to you know check those boxes as the opportunities arise because they don't come up very often so yeah sarah probably not going to hit in modern but i do think that them showcasing it is like, hey, you know, even if you're not a hardcore modern player or whatever, like this, this set might still be for you, which I think is kind of cool. Oh, yeah. I, I have no gripes about it whatsoever. I mean, making 255 cards that were going to slot into tier one decks in modern is not a realistic goal. Like that was never on the table and it shouldn't be. That's like a complete retool of the format. It's different than it was the day before if you do something like that. So it's fine that there are these exciting cards for all players for commander players for casual players for people who just like appreciate a beautiful card and you know i have a little bit of all of that in me even if my chief instinct is always like okay how does this card slot into constructed there's still part of me that can appreciate this is just a cool looking card and i'm glad it exists yeah and you're definitely right that you can't just inject 250 playable cards into modern because that just creates like pure chaos and it is it is weird to me because uh, formats like modern, extended, even like you know frontier for however long it was, it's like those formats tend to be a snapshot of Magic's history, and mm. it is now weird to then be really heavy handed with how you inject cards into a format where modern then just becomes a, a format right that was very clearly like designed. Uh, at this point with Modern Horizons to function in a certain way. So it is it is kind of weird to me where it's like, you look at the format, maybe like when it was just first introduced and like didn't have a whole lot of cards or whatever, but it was like very clearly about Magic's past and everything. And you start getting to play like, I don't know, Disrupting Shoal, Whisplinter Twin or whatever. And just like all, all of these weird card combinations, like that feels like Magic to me. Whereas then uh, just, you know, creating 
your your own stuff to fit the format doesn't really. So it's, it's going to be weird for sure. I, I don't know if like modern is going to lose like some of its flavor or anything, but I have high hopes. I think this set is going to be cool. And, you know, things like Cabal Therapist or whatever, it's like, I, I just want to build decks with that card, obviously. Yeah, I think it's a really exciting build around, even if, again, I'm kind of low on it as far as like what I think its impact is going to be. And I wrote about this in my article on Star City this week. And one of the problems I have with this card, and problem is not quite accurate. One of the reasons I am trepidatious about its ability to be a player in modern is because of the nature of modern. And our entire show is about modern this week. We're going to talk a lot about modern as we go through. And one of the things we want to talk about is just that two ships passing in the night nature of modern. And it's it's at a point right now where that's feeling really emphasized again. And it kind of always has. That's what modern has always been about to some extent. And despite people bemoaning that at times, I think it's not that modern got popular in spite of that. I think there are a large number of people who appreciate that aspect of modern. They like having that style of gameplay. And gameplay is different to all people, right? Everyone looks for something different. But one of the things I'm having a really hard time wrapping my head around is how do you specifically design for that environment? Like, what are you doing that embraces that style of play? Because in a lot of ways, what that style of play is about is just finding these really broken engines. And these engines have come together through years and years of cards congealing and redundant effects and bizarre interactions that no one ever contemplated. And you can't really shoehorn that in to a set. So it makes me believe that this set's going to a attempt to move modern a little bit more towards the interactive side. And if it's successful in doing so, then a card like Cabal Therapist is really exciting in that context, like playing some kind of black-white mid-range-ish deck with Bitter Blossoms or Lingering Souls or Blood Gas sounds really, really appealing to me. But if you try to do that right now in modern, you would get obliterated. Like if this card existed in modern right now as it stands, I don't believe it would see any play. So Cabal Therapist is definitely not good against a lot of the the top decks in modern as it exists right now. But I do think that if it was like a little bit slower, you know, there are things like KCI and Storm and Azorius, Jeskai Control, that sort of stuff. Like then I think this card could have a home. But yeah, right now it's just kind of like, are, are you going to use this against like Dredge? You know, is right. it Phoenix? All, all their all their cards do the same stuff. Yeah, hardened scales. It's like, yeah, okay, you can get their walking ballista maybe or whatever. But right. yeah, I, I think that I think that therapist would, if you just allowed it to be legal right now, it would probably not accomplish a whole lot. But I agree with you that if you are making a set like this, presumably it is because you are going to inject some things into the format that are different than. Uh, what is going on currently, right? Like you're you're not going to be like, oh, hey, this would make like a, a busted engine, right? Like, right. yeah, there's faithless looting and ancient stirrings. Like, let's make a good black cantrip or whatever. Like, that's probably not going to happen. It is probably going to be more of these interactive type of cards. If that does sort of slow down the format and shift the format, I think that would be a good thing. But I agree that you are probably missing out on a big percentage of the player base. But like the, the good thing about modern is that it tends to just circle around anyway. Right. 
Right. I think that's a good way of looking at it, that even if these strategies are enabled, you'll find like the linear strategy that punishes the fairer strategies. And then it's just this whole circle going around and around. And when the card pulls that big, you always have options, right? You're never going to be locked into any one right. particular way of approaching things. But yeah, I think it's a fascinating puzzle. And to go back to your point of about like shoehorning in cards, I've heard Sam Black talk about objections to the commander format basically based on this i i think i'm paraphrasing and i don't want to misquote him but i think his take is that commander was interesting until you started designing cards for commander because the puzzle of commander was like finding the pieces that weren't intended to be used in a a certain way and making them work that way and then as soon as you say okay here's this piece everyone should be playing it that puzzle solved and it's not interesting anymore and i've always liked that that line of thinking when it comes to commander i think that's really spot on it's kind of weird, though, because cards like Doubling Season and Vidalcan Orrery and stuff, it's like these cards are very clearly meant to be more Johnny-centric, more casual, right? So it's like they they make cards to kind of serve this audience, and then that audience in turn ends up making the commander format. And I don't know. To, to me, it's like the, the cards that are made for commander – like could have potentially just been made at some point anyway, even if you're just like, yo, this is in a commander product, right? I mean, there are certain things like Monarch or cards choosing to be like all opponents instead of a opponents, you know, things mm-hmm. like that nature where it's like, it's very clearly that they're designed for multiplayer type of stuff. But like that, that I think is okay, right? That doesn't feel like that bad to me, but I'm, I'm sure that there are more egregious things that, Sam is kind of talking about maybe like command tower or something, but right. Where you like have to play that card. It's just the puzzle is solved for that one slot every single time. So, but I I think modern is a little different in that there, there are fundamental issues. Like there there's things going on in modern that there's room for other styles of play. And the fact that these engines are so good, those other styles of play are just squeezed out right now. And while you want to represent all aspects of magic, I I think it's important that everything stay in balance. I think if this set were to make modern standard 2.0, that would be a huge problem. That's absolutely not what it should intend to do. But if it moves the needle a little bit more towards the middle, and a little bit closer to mid-range decks, or maybe even an actual control deck finding success, I think this set would be a huge success. And that's not something that was ever going to be able to be done under the context of printing standard legal cards, because things would swing way too far in favor of those powerful answers. It would take years and years and years, to your point, of maybe these cards could have existed anyway, but they would have had to come out one at a time, right? And it would have taken forever until the modern format had any significant shift. Yeah, and I look at modern currently and, you know, kind of like the the fun decks that I wish were a little bit above tier two or even tier three. And Cabal Therapist, like, not maybe that card specifically isn't exactly what I would want, but it's clear that there are things like Blood Gas, Lingering Souls, Zombies, whatever. Right. Like that sort of style of deck. Like people want to do that thing, like the Sam Black-esque sort of thing. And this is another piece to that. So it's like, even if this doesn't necessarily make the deck, if it gets us that much closer to that style of deck being somewhat viable, I think that's a good thing, you know? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's exactly what the format could use to shake it up a little bit. One of the hot topics has been like, 
what legacy cards are going to find their way into modern. And some of the things I've heard people propose kind of blow my mind. <laughs> like I can't well, believe they of course. actually want these cards in the format. But I do think it's an interesting puzzle. I'm curious to see. I mean, I'm curious to see everything about this set. This is by far the most exciting magic announcement, maybe short of like retooling pro play, which is half exciting, half terrifying. And like, I guess arena, but when arena first was announced, I was pretty low on it. Um, So this feels like a pretty just slam dunk right off the bat. I can't wait to see what's going on in this set. God, we have to wait so long to, I hate it. What are we, June we're waiting to, is that right? End of May, I think for more previews previews, and then June for release. Yeah. So, so they announced this and my first thought was like, Oh, okay. The London MC makes a lot more sense. Right. Because, we could just have this new set or whatever, but I guess it's like, all right, do a mythic championship with modern under this new mulligan rule that may or may not sick stick, see if it's broken and then just inject a bunch of cards into it rather than banning stuff. Maybe. I don't know. It's, it is kind of weird. Yeah. Weird timing for sure. I, I will say though, GP Seattle is a Modern Horizons limited event, which I was pretty excited about. I mean, I, I don't know how this set will be for limited, but I'm sure it was considered. Like, I don't think these are just going to be cards thrown together. And I enjoyed the last Masters format, which is kind of what I'm equating this to as far as a limited experience goes. So I'm hoping we get good things from the limited set right in my backyard as I take a very brief drive over to the Convention Center here in Seattle and get to play a hometown GP. Oh, man, that's rough for you. It's like, what, 10, 15 minutes? Uh, yeah, probably about 15 minutes. I'll probably Uber just so I don't even have to park. We'll keep it real simple. <laughs> I love it, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. I'll, I'll be there barring any illness or poisoning from Cedric. Yeah, always always a risk when Cedric's around. But uh, yeah, I assume all of the Seattle crew will be there. And I, I assume it'll be a very large Grand Prix as well. It seems like the Seattle ones are always well attended. And especially with an exciting format like this, there's also... I know just tons of people who are coming into town from the East Coast. They're really into it. And there's also awesome concerts that week, too, to go to. So I'm really excited for that weekend already. Yeah. Yeah, man. You you just have to plan my week for me, please. All right. I'll 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 be in charge of you for that week. Assu- again, assuming no poisoning. But I will take on directing a healthy Jerry for the week. Okay. I appreciate it. So if you buy concert tickets, get to. Got it. Already done. I'm there. Lock it in. All right, do we want to talk about actual modern and then we just awkwardly like stand around for five months twiddling our fingers until new Horizon cards get spoiled? Yeah, we're going to talk about existing modern, which feels uh, a little deflating, which is weird. I mean, you know, that's a little negative, but we get excited about these things and we want to have them in our hands now. And there's some of that lame duckness when you know you're getting something crazy and new. It's like playing, you know, standard right before rotation. It's really hard to get into it. But I do think there's interesting things going on in modern right now, even if it is kind of a lot of the same song being sung over and over, if you get what I'm putting down. Was that a pun or something? Or no, was I supposed I, to get something? I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's a crappy analogy. But I, my point is that we've returned to a place of linearity. And I, I think there's a oh. lot of decks just looking to do their own thing and not really paying attention to their opponents anymore. And modern's history is one of ebbing and flowing with this kind of very linear focused nature and we're in full flow right now just hardcore complete linearity once again yeah man sorry i'm really dense i didn't get it that's Uh, right (laughs) uh the, the interesting thing is that even when modern uh shifts back around 
to these like really linear moments that there's always some new stuff going on mm-hmm. and it, it's always like a different crop of decks too. Like right now we have dredge and burn is basically like the two scourges of the format where it's like, you need to absolutely be prepared for these two decks. Otherwise you're just going to straight up lose to them. And then there's, uh, is it Phoenix? That's just kind of chilling there basically because of arc light Phoenix, how good thing in the ice has been previously, how strong faithless looting is and how, how customizable the deck is too. So you're, you're doing these kind of medium level, powerful stuff. Uh, like, is it Phoenix is basically like the new Maru Pyromancer to me, where you're like kind of this, this mid rangey deck that also has a clock and an engine and everything. And I don't think that sort of style of deck can last as the best deck. I say that even though it just like continually keeps winning GPs, but whatever. I need you to explain that a little bit to me because I, I think we're on opposite sides here. To me, I look at Is It Phoenix and it feels like a deck, like you mentioned, infinitely customizable. Not only can your answer suite change a lot, but your threat suite even has some adaptability. I mean, you're always going to be for Phoenix and that's not going to change. And I think that's 100% correct. But those other slots, you see occasionally Snapcaster Mage. There's varying numbers of Crackling Drake. Now Terramander has gotten into the mix. So there are other options for your secondary threats. And then there's just like also some haymakers that this deck has access to as well out of the sideboard. You know, now Blood Moon has basically come become ubiquitous. I, I would put Dragon's Claw in that category, actually, which is weird. But yeah. when this deck gets yep. to play Dragon's Claw, it's impossible for Burn to beat them at that point. Like they've really turned that matchup around. So Dredge has gotten some new toys recently, uh, mostly like Creeping Chill. I think that mm-hmm. was a huge game changer. Burn got Skewer the Critics and uh, Light Up the Stage, although it doesn't seem like maybe it's like 40-60 whether or not they're actually playing Light Up the Stage. Yeah, folks are torn right now for sure. Yeah. Dredge and Burn are the two linear decks that we're seeing because they got new prints. They got things that kind of like put them over the top of where they – once were and is it phoenix while i like the fact that you have this pseudo sweeper and thing in the ice you have this fast clock and arc light phoenix you have a bunch of cantrips and you get to play lightning bolt and you have reasonable sideboard cars and stuff the things i don't like are the fact that the deck now has to main deck surgical extraction to compete with dredge and we're talking about sideboarding things like dragon's claw or splashing life goes on to be able to compete with burn. And those are decks number two and three. And if you have to jump through these hoops just to compete with the other tier one decks, like you're done. There's going to be a week or two where like, you know, maybe you slip up, you get it wrong, or maybe like Tron is super popular. Right. And they, they Mm. just beat the crap out of you that week. Like it is not sustainable for, is it Phoenix to be one of the best decks? And I guess like the same could be said for dredge and burn as well. Right. And maybe maybe the characteristic here is just level of brokenness, because while is it Phoenix occasionally feels broken and we've all seen those starts where there's just three Phoenix on the graveyard in the first two turns of the game somehow and the game's essentially over on turn two or three at its core, it, it does play a little bit longer game in most instances. It takes a few turns to win. It can't just shut your opponent out on turns three, turn four. Whereas these decks that maybe do have a bit of longevity and never seem to go away, at least have that broken option. Like something like Tron, you're never going to take away turn three, Karn Liberated. 
And that's going to win a large percentage of games every time it's done, regardless of what the format looks like always. And something like Affinity is always going to get to dump its hand, and that's going to be problematic for every other deck in the format, no matter what. And I think that Dredge and Burn have that to a greater extent than is it Phoenix does, but there's still like that brokenness that's missing to some extent. Do you think that's what it takes to just be like a hard lock to always exist? Or is that even a real thing? Are there decks that can just have an infinite runtime in modern or is every deck essentially a ticking time bomb and you're just waiting for the metagame to come around and target it? <laughs> uh, kind of. I mean, with all the, the hate that Tron has as far as, you know, people not liking the deck, people hate losing to it, they're going to play their Fulminator Mages, their Blood Moons, whatever. Like, Tron mostly just sticks around because it, it does Tron things, right? Mm-hmm. And it it is customizable to some degree where it's like, okay, well, now let's play Relic of Progenitus main deck, or maybe we play some Thrag Tusks main deck. And you can do that to help against the, the linear bad matchups while also just being this deck that plays turn three card, like you pointed out, right? Is it Phoenix has... Arclade Phoenix and Thing in the Ice, which are both good, but not necessarily good against everyone. And then you're playing, you know, something like 17 to 20 land, a bunch of cantrips, some lightning bolts, and then you don't have a whole lot of deck space for anything else that really interacts. It's just like you have these threats and a couple removal spells past lightning bolts, and then that's it. That's your deck. And your main deck can't really adapt much further past that, except for, you know, the surgical extractions. And then you you compare that to something like Rix's Death Shadow, where it's like, yeah, Death Shadow is kind of like this, this legacy light sort of deck, but it has obvious problems, like obvious gaps in what it is trying to accomplish, and it can't really address those with its main deck, and then eventually that deck is just going to like fall out of favor. Like There was a good two-week period recently where Death Shadow was really good, but it's like mm-hmm. Dredge and Burn are just two of the worst matchups, right? right. And. I think Death Shadow does basically exactly what Is It Phoenix is going to do, but just like on a on a larger scale, where Is It Phoenix is able to adapt a little bit better than Grixis Death Shadow. But you you see how like Grixis has just kind of like ebbed and flowed, right? Right. It's going to happen with Phoenix. It's inevitable. That's really interesting. I mean, what would you say the key is to its present success? Then why is it finding success in this moment? And what's what's going to be the thing that changes? Is it just showing the deck proper respect? Because I think you can make that argument, certainly for the first two months that this deck was around, right? Like Ross plays it at a open, wins the entire tournament. People start getting excited about it. It starts getting steam. But at this point, going into this GP weekend, I think it was very clear that as if Phoenix was starting to be regarded as the best deck in the format. I know a lot of people are saying that at this point. So there's no, there's no more sneaking under the radar. There's no, I didn't test this matchup. Like everyone is thinking about, is it Phoenix at this point? And it wins anyway. So what does that say about people's preparation? Maybe are people targeting the wrong things from the deck? I think that is definitely part of it. I think part of it too is probably like they look at it like, oh, this is just kind of like a mid-range deck that is going to be present in the format, kind of like Jund or Black Green or Mardu or whatever, and they don't think much of it. And then their you know board is getting wiped by a thing in the ice and they're getting attacked very quickly or they have three Arclight Phoenixes in play on turn three or whatever. It's like you still have to respect what the deck is capable of doing, even though it doesn't look like much. Like there's a reason why it's, winning all these tournaments and doing really well is that it is very good. But I, I then think that the people who go a step further and are looking at 
making sure that their deck is good against Phoenix. They're like, well, I'll just play a bunch of graveyard hate or whatever. Like I'll, I'll board in these rest in pieces. And if you are, is it Phoenix and you are doing your job correctly, your post board configuration isn't really going to care too much about rest in peace. You're going to have things like crackling Drake or planeswalkers or whatever. And I, I think people really overestimate how vulnerable some decks in modern are just because that is kind of the name of the game where it's like, well, if I, if I play my rest in peace against dredge, usually they lose. Right. But is it Phoenix isn't dredge. It's, it's not any of those decks. And we went through a lot of the same stuff with Marty Pyromancer too, where someone's like, Oh yeah, I brought in four rest in pieces. And I'm like, right. Cool. I killed, I killed you with young Pyromancer or Chandra, Liliana, whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that is, that is just going to continue to happen. And if you want to talk about like mono red Phoenix, I think that happens a lot too, where it's like, oh, they have Reveler and Phoenix. I need to hit them with graveyard hate. And then you just get lava spiked out. Like what, what are you doing? You know, you have to, you have to actually sit down and play games against this deck rather than just like theory craft. Like, oh yeah, the, the main card in the deck is Arclight Phoenix. So if I just hate that out, the deck can't win because it's more versatile than that. Yeah. I think you're spot on. And I do think I haven't seen enough respect for the deck but it, it's not so much that I think people are building sideboards wrong. I think mostly people are utilizing the tools available to them in their archetypes. What I think I'm seeing is that new archetypes haven't sprung up yet. The rotation is only beginning to happen right now. People are only beginning to think about how do I actually fundamentally target this deck? How do I get to the core of what this deck is and challenge it? And like you said, the answer is not rest in peace. I think it's interesting. We're starting to see more and more of these war prison decks. Now, yeah. it, it does seem to me like if is it Phoenix wants to have game against those decks, it can. I, I mean, it's a red deck. It certainly has options, the best anti-artifact cards possible. So there's always options for is it Phoenix when you get to that point. But I think, especially in game ones, they are not prepared to interact on that type of axis and I have to give a shout out to uh, Dom Harvey, who won the stand, or excuse me, the Modern Classic at the most re recent Open Weekend with War Prison. Dom Harvey continues to innovate in Modern, first using the uh, Titan, the Amulet Titan Breach deck, and now moving on to this War Prison deck. But uh, I, I think this is an exciting new change to Modern. This is a deck utilizing some very powerful, powerful effects. It's obviously like the successor to Lantern Control. So people already hate it. It's got tons of prejudice against it already. Uh, but I think this deck is taking the next step, whereas a bunch of other decks are content to just keep playing the same games they were prior to the existence of Visit Phoenix. That's not going to work anymore. There needs to be some fundamental changes. So what, what people are generally pretty comfortable doing is changing their sideboard like three cards. Right. And for, for, for a lot of people, that makes sense, right? If you only own one modern deck, absolutely continue doing that. But what really causes shakeups in the format is when you, you have this metagame that is, is it Phoenix at the top, kind of flanked by Dredge and Burn, and then everything else is sort of, you know, a, a mixture of like 2 to 4% of the metagame or whatever. What is going to happen is people are going to play decks that are just inherently good against Phoenix, Dredge, and Burn, and that is what is going to cause metagame churn. You're talking about like, oh, what is actually good against Phoenix? And it's like, well, think of the the decks that basically ignore what Phoenix is doing, and certainly one of, or two, two of, I guess, their weakest points are that they rely on creature damage. 
they don't have enough burn to actually close a game and their their threats aren't going to kill you if you have an ensnaring bridge. And they're just all one mana cards, so Chalice of the Void is insane. And Burn has Skewer the Critics and has cut some of the worst one drops from the deck, like Lava Mancer, Shard Volley, that sort of stuff. But like they're still vulnerable to Chalice too, and I think Chalice is awesome right now. Yeah, Chalice is super strong. I mean, this deck basically reads as a list of cards that are impossible for several decks to beat, as it should. That's what a prison deck generally is going to be composed of. But when you add in the consistency of being an Ancient Stirrings Mox Opal deck, you start to see why you can get excited about this archetype. And one of the, the other tenets of the article I wrote this week over on Star City, I was talking about modern more holistically and like how you should be choosing a deck going to this regionals weekend. And I kind of put out this theory that while decks can come and go, if a deck is going to actually find long-term success in the format, a run of, you know, a couple months at the top of the format, if we accept that it's cyclical and no deck ever gets to be the top dog forever, uh, it needs to be built around one of three cards, those three cards being Faithless Looting, Ancient Stirrings, and Mox Opal. They're just on a different power level than everything else in modern. So like maybe blue, blue black burn or excuse me, blue black milk can have a week in the sun, but it's not ever going to be a long-term player in the format. And same with like rock decks and a billion other decks that have come and gone eight rack. If you want to talk about that. Whereas once you start including cards like ancient stirrings and mox opal, and now you're pushing things even further with Worv and mention, think about how much card selection and just raw power this deck is packing this four color prison deck. I'm, I'm really into these builds. And I think this is the next big thing in modern, quite frankly. I think this is the next step for the metagame. It wouldn't surprise me because you, you have Chalice already, which is just great, period. If you are able to survive long enough, you can whir for Witchbane Orb against Burn. Mm-hmm. And then uh, against Dredge, you have Main Deck, Raftager's Cage, and like Stirring's Word to find it. And then you have Bridges against Is It Phoenix. Like, yes, this deck, this deck is absolutely awesome right now. And it's not just because it's good against the top three decks, because together that's, you know, not even 20% of the metagame, right? But like, you look at all of the other top decks too, and it's like, oh, this, yeah, this person deck is good against this, it's good against this. Like, it, it doesn't have a whole lot of bad matchups. Right. And a deck like this is going to be slow to get its coils around the metagame for sure. One, because a lot of people don't like playing this style of deck. Two, because it has some very expensive cards and Mox Opal and Chalice of the Void. And there isn't as much deck flexibility in modern as we kind of lead ourselves to believe. I think, whereas you and I may have access to the vast majority of cards. Uh, the bulk of players in modern do not. They have maybe one or two decks. They have, you know, they rotate a deck. Maybe they own one deck, sell it when their time with the deck is up and move on to something else. It's not a format where everyone participating is super mobile. And we lose sight of that sometimes. And that's one of the reasons why it's harder for these kind of innovations to take hold. It, it just doesn't have the same fluidity as something like standard. And I, I think we're still waiting a few weeks for Four Color Prison to break out. But if you want to be ahead of the curve, I think this is where you start. I think you start learning this deck right now and you can find yourself in a very nice place. Can we not call this deck Four Color Prison? Because I'm, pro- I'm probably calling it that because that's what's called on Goldfish. And I'm looking at Goldfish right now. I, I usually call it War Prison. And we can call it that very safely, I think. Yeah, I, 
I generally don't like a lot of Goldfish's naming conventions. And the fact that it's like four-color prison, but it only has two colored cards main deck. It's, kind of, <laughs> right. it's, like, it's like this It's this mono artifact deck, basically, yeah. Yeah, with some support cards. So it's like, yeah, it's like, come on. Uh, fair come point. On. Yeah, fair I, point. I, I like I like we're prison. I, I feel like we can just put our foot down right now and get to name this deck. Actually. We're prison. That's it. This so. is we're prison from this point forward. Double stamped, approved. All right, cool. I also know that Cedric Phillips has a lot of copies of War of Invention, so he'll be very excited to hear this. Although he doesn't listen to the podcast anyway, he only poisons you and comes on to do it, so he won't even know this is going on right now. Yeah, he doesn't even know how to pronounce the podcast. So. Right. Real, a real crappy guest host, quite frankly. I don't know why we keep employing that guy. I don't know. Probably because he employs us. Oh, that's right. Okay. Maybe we shouldn't, <laughs> we shouldn't call him crappy. That's, that's, that's the only – well, he doesn't listen anyway. It's fine. Oh, okay. It's all fair game. No one tell Cedric. All of you, do you hear what I'm saying? Don't tell Cedric about this. Keep it under wraps. It's between us. So I, I built uh, one of the versions of this deck on Magic Online a, a while ago, which was probably the last time I played Magic Online, honestly. But uh, I played, I think, a match and a half, and then I was just done. Too many clicks, was, right? Too much time, too many clicks, all that bad stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it was just a lot of stuff. And it's it's funny to me, like these decks where it's like so many of your cards just don't do anything, especially in certain matchups. But then it's it's all like the deck has four welding jars and whirs and ancient stirrings. You just find like your one thing and protect it. And then like post board, the games get kind of interesting, right? Mm-hmm. But this is this is not magic, folks. If you decide that you want to play a deck that is well positioned, be prepared because this is this is a different experience entirely. Did you feel that way about lantern control as well? You just felt like it wasn't magic and Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was absolutely not magic. Yeah, I I think that's mostly right. I, I often resist, resist things like that because I feel like it's important to acknowledge all forms of magic. And one of the best things about magic is that it's so many different things to different people. And I used to play a lot of Legacy Dredge back in the day. And you'd always hear, well, that's not magic. And I was like, no, you're wrong. It's still You're still making important decisions. You still need to think about combat very carefully, like knowing your opponent's deck, making Cabal Therapy calls. All this stuff is very important. And I still feel that way about the way Legacy Dredge operates. But something like this, I mean, it requires certainly knowledge of what your opponent is doing. And that's kind of it. Like, you just know what your opponent's doing and what card do I need to find to stop them. And it, it veers pretty far from traditional magic, I will admit, in this instance. So, you know, I played Legacy Dredge a lot too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, this this was on the open series around the time when Adam Prozac was also playing occasionally. Yeah. Uh, Prozac, who now works for wizards and has designed a bunch of master sets and stuff like that, uh, does good work. And he said that dredge is basically just a beat down deck where you're looking at 10 cards per turn. And that is, that's completely accurate. It's like, obviously you have some games where, you know, you could just like flamekins out them on turn one or whatever. But I think right. that that was the wrong way to build the deck. Like I would, I would play a value dread return, but I wouldn't have no specific, dread return targets and it's all about killing them with like icarids and zombies and stuff just nickel and dime them yep as i learned the deck more and more i i think i started with the training wheels and probably having a flamekin zealot but as you learn the deck you realize oh that's not what you need to do whatsoever and you're just hurting your consistency by trying to do that yeah and this this prison deck for sure in game one is just find your card and protect it but post board things get super weird with like your poor aether grid sigh some tesserets like now now you're actually like bobbing and weaving against their hate cards and everything and i 
I think that's when the games get truly interesting. But yeah, game one is super weird for sure. I'm kind of glad there's another deck that gets to use the Psy switcheroo because I do think that's a cool angle for for a deck to have uh, and a neat thing to exist in modern. At some point, I think there's just going to be a Psy deck, quite frankly. And I know people have tried and maybe not quite gotten there yet, but the card interacts really favorably with a lot of modern's best cards. And at some point, that will be the correct call. I don't know exactly what the metagame has to look like where you'd rather have a vulnerable creature in game ones because in general decks are more prepared for creatures in game ones but at at some point i do have faith that psy will make it you know it's a combo psy plus cabal therapist uh kind of yeah if you get all the time in the world <laughs> i agree with you that absolutely works now this this prison deck is exactly what we're talking about where it is just this random collection of cards throughout magic's history and it's like right, oh yeah right it can only exist with 15 years of history behind it. Otherwise, nothing like this will ever come together. You couldn't plan this in a million years. Yeah. Every five years, we get a playable zero mana artifact. You know, it's, right. it's like wel- welding jar into Mishra's Bobble into Mox Opal. And then for whatever reason, Word of Invention gets printed. And it's like, oh, yeah, we're really doing it now. Yeah, and all those things had to be very, very far removed because you never want them to exist at the same time. And then the uniqueness of modern starts to shine and you get to put something crazy like we're a prison together. Yeah, so prison and what are some of the other just weird decks in modern that you would never think would exist? Uh, I, I think you would say Hollow One falls under that category with just like having that critical mass of Burning Inquiry plus Goblin lore. Like that certainly is not at all intended. Yeah, I guess Amulet's another good one, too. Yeah, Amulet's a good example, for sure. So Amulet is great against Dredge. How do you think it is against Phoenix and Burn? Because I know that you were pretty high on Amulet. Uh, I know that War Prison looks like a better choice, period. But would you be playing Amulet? Yeah, I actually got in a bunch of new amulet foils just today. I went to my mailbox and grabbed them and sleeve them up, ready to go. I, I think... One of the good things about Amulet is that if you think about Amulet three months ago, it was a different deck. For whatever reason, there is a spark ignited amongst Amulet players to say, we can do better than this. And as time has gone on, it has continued to get to be a better and better deck. It seems like every week there's some new innovation. You know, it started with adding uh, the Sky Shroud Rangers and getting away from Explore. And now you have my good friend Edgar M, whose last name I've completely given up on inserting three coalition relics into the deck and just having three coalition relics main and it's answering a lot of the problems the deck previously had it's super consistent now you can ancient stirrings for your ramp to go from three to six and that's a really cool new feature for the deck to have and it also gets game against blood moon at this point so i think the deck is extremely well positioned it keeps getting better and better to your question the burn matchup remains swingy I've mostly felt favored. Like if you get to do anything, you'll essentially win the game. If you ever get a Titan into play, you win the game on the spot pretty much because you'll gain a bunch of life and you'll gain life every subsequent turn. And it's not super unrealistic to have your turn three Titan a bunch because they don't really interact with you all that much. So I've felt pretty favored against Burn. Like you said, Dredge is outstanding. And I think is it Phoenix started as an absolutely fine matchup. The problem is they have adapted the only bad matchup that Amulet has, Blood Moon. And Blood Moon keeps appearing in higher and higher numbers. And while Coalition Relic is a poignant step to addressing the problem, it doesn't solve the problem. It's still there. And 
the more blood moons this deck picks up, more blood moons is it Phoenix picks up, the worse it gets for Amulet. I would say it's in their favor at this point now that they've picked up a decent number of them. But, you know, I think they're correct in doing so because when we're talking about a format that's so linear, I think it's important to have haymakers in your sideboard options. And, you know, taking the hard route of targeting a bunch of decks with this one hit KO is so much better than doing something like. I don't know, Fulminator Mage or Molten Rain. You just need to go harder than that when the format's not interested in playing fair anymore. You need to basically get dirty with them. And I think Is the Phoenix has done the right thing in picking up Blood Moon. I think that is the right way to go a lot of the time, but it's also really tough because we're talking about Dredge and Burn. We're talking about mm-hmm. this Artifact Prison deck. We're talking about picking up Blood Moon. It's like, where are your sideboard slots coming from? Because like Phoenix, like you still need you know some counter spells right. for... Yeah. Like stack based combo and stuff like that it's a too. Big format. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, it sounds really tough to me. Yeah, I, I don't know how you find all the slots because we're talking about wanting Blood Moon, we're talking about wanting Dragon Claw, we're talking about you know whatever other one hit KOs you're going to pack. I mean, probably like Shatterstorm or you know whatever Shatterstorm equivalent you want to look at right now, Shattering Spree or Vandal Blast, whatever's best for your setup certainly something you're investing in at this point. And then, like you said, if you don't interact with the stack, you're doomed. If you don't have your graveyard hate for dredge, you're doomed. If you don't have some form of removal against creature-based decks, uh, you know, some deck that's trying to go wide, if you don't have your anger of the gods, you might be doomed. So it's a really, really tough puzzle to figure out right now for decks that are trying to do like fair-ish things. Like this is about as fair as it gets right now. Something like, is it Phoenix? And they have a very difficult puzzle to solve on a week-to-week basis. I'm not going to lie. And it seems like the people who are going to succeed each week are the ones who just nail their sideboard and have exactly what they need for what they happen to face. Yeah, that's that's a tall ask, though. That's exactly oh, why yeah. I think that, that Phoenix is not going to stick around for very long because there, there are these you know, challengers, if you if you want to coin the, the Wasi term that they blatantly stole from Riot. But, you know, there's there's like four-color prison and amulet that are just like waiting basically for like the metagame to shift just right and for those decks to become dominant, right? And then right. what is, is a Phoenix going to do? You're just going to be buried under a sea of like ensnaring bridges and Bajuka Bog fetching primeval titans and whatnot. So. Yeah, so, so this brings up an interesting point. I'm just kind of fleshing this out in my head now. So I don't know if I'm going to get out exactly what I'm trying to convey here. But under that assumption, it's very possible for... Is it Phoenix to keep winning a bunch of tournaments and be just a horrible choice for the vast majority of people? Because if you're just asking to nail the exact sideboard for the random matchups you're facing in a metagame that contains, what, 30 viable decks and you appear at a Grand Prix and you can play any number of those decks and you happen to have the right sideboard slot. So you have a very easy tournament and you succeed and you know everyone copies your deck list the next week and gets blown out at the next tournament because they didn't get the same right. matchups as you. And that's a weird spot to be in where this deck does have absolutely, it has the tools to get repeated successes under its belt. It's just a question of how repeatable and how often do you find those successes? And I've never really thought about matchups in that context before, but it it is a good explanation of how this deck could be like wrong while being right, I guess. Isn't it just easier to find a deck that is well positioned and play that? I mean, outside of like... Is it Phoenix is a relatively new deck, so it's it's unlikely that the people playing Is it Phoenix fall under the camp of I have one modern deck unless they are new or 
they owned a lot of these cards because they played something similar previously, right? Mm-hmm. So I think for the majority of Is It Phoenix players, you have the ability to switch decks. Isn't it just easier to find a different deck than trying to guess like, oh, how many Blood Moons, how many Shatters do I play? Because even now, like everyone's going to be playing Coalition Relic, right? So your Blood Moons, while they look good against Amulet, are not a card There's that you play main deck. And yeah, you you have outs in Coalition Relic, and people are playing like what one abrade in their sideboard to beat Coalition Relic or whatever. So the Blood Moons just don't even necessarily seem like they're worth playing at the moment. And like even what what happens when you do get Blood Moon and you play a Primeval Titan? Like you're talking about not being able to like kill them exactly, right? Because right. your land still but they don't still do don't have many answers for Primeval Titan. Yeah, so I, and and even then, it's like you can just find some basic forests or a Teleria West for later, and then Summoner's Pact for an out to the Blood Moon, and make sure that you're able to pay for the Pact and cast all your spells and everything. Like, it just seems so hard. Everything seems so hard about this deck, and in, in the meantime, you're also trying to like jump through these hoops to put a three-two haste into play or whatever. Like, yeah, I'm I'm gonna make another comparison. I don't know if this one's gonna land either. Is it Phoenix is microeconomics, whereas something like Tron or Amulet is macroeconomics? Like, is it Phoenix is looking at all these small, tiny interpersonal interactions, and it's on a much smaller scale where you have to get these discrete card choices right. Whereas when you show up with something like Amulet or Tron, you're just saying the metagame is fundamentally not prepared for doing things in this fashion. They have no response to just going huge and, you know, having these unanswerable, tremendous threats that basically end the game instantaneously. And it doesn't require the same level of specificity in your card choices to find success. It's more about, I found the archetype, not I found the correct cards. Yeah. And for modern in general, I do think that it rewards macro way more than micro. I think it always has. And I think yeah, part of the problem is that people don't don't want that to be true, right? Like people rebel against that theory because a lot of what people love about standard and a lot of edge that people find in standard is about those micro decisions. And I think they want to have the opportunity to replicate that in modern. But for the most part, that opportunity has not presented itself. Yeah, uh, I, I think it gets a lot easier to justify it when the, some of the top decks are dredge and burn, where it's it's so... Mm-hmm much more difficult to justify main decking surgical extraction than it is to just be like, Oh, I should be playing a different deck. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're spot on. And there's a lot of interesting decision-making that comes with people's associations with their modern decks. And we talked about the financial squeeze of a very expensive format and a a bunch of other things. So there's all those factors playing in as well. I, I guess what it comes down to is like, you need to have an approach to the format that you're comfortable with. And Maybe people are tricking themselves, myself included. I don't want to sound like I'm just throwing shade at people. Maybe people are tricking themselves into believing that these micro approaches are going to yield long-term success because I'm I'm high on Is It Phoenix right now. I, I do believe it's going to get a long run at the top, maybe not an infinite run, especially with the huge shakeup we have on the horizon, but it does seem to me to have some sticking power and maybe I'm just selling myself a bill of goods. I'm letting myself believe that this dream of the micro interactions can actually exist. Well, I think it can exist. And I mean, I'm, I'm certainly uh, partial to this too, because I spent weeks playing Mardu when it wasn't like the best deck anymore because of that. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, well, if I just play an extra wear and tear and extra right. explosives and extra Thoughtseize or whatever. And uh, did you see the, the deck that I posted for this week for 
uh, regionals on Patreon. It's the rock, right? You're back on the rock. It is the rock. It is the rock. So how did we get there? So if you look at the top decks, I think that the rock gets to do, and I hate this name, stupid goldfish. Can we just call it Golgari <laughs> midrange like every other sure, Golgari deck? Golgari midrange, that's fine. It's 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 bad jund. It is less fancy jund. Mm-hmm. This deck gets to do the things that Phoenix is trying to do with like the main deck surgicals without actually having to play the card surgical extraction in your main deck because you have things like Nile Spellbomb, right? Mm-hmm. And you have things like Scavenging Ooze and Collective Brutality, which were already cards that you wanted to play, but they effectively function as hate cards against the top decks in the format. If you want to do like micro stuff, I think green black is very good for that, at least right now. In this in this specific metagame where it's dredge burn Phoenix, I think that black green, like that color combination, specifically has a lot of very potent answers to those sorts of strategies that don't cost you anything. Like these are cards that you would just want to play anyway. So for this weekend specifically, I would be playing green black and on the micro, even though, you know, I just, I look at like Ari Lax's history of deck selection, for example, and it's like, yeah, you played Order Prison at GPLA because it's Ari and he does that. He focuses on the macro way more than the micro and just tends to just play a, a very powerful, well-positioned deck, right? Especially in modern. Like you can, you can kind of just like look at his deck selection history for modern and be like, okay, yeah, this is this is kind of how I'm supposed to be going about things because I think he does a really good job of it for the most part. Like, obviously, he has off weeks, everyone does, whatever. But sure, I, I, I could see either approach, but I, I would caution against jumping through hoops to attack the micro when you could still do like this macro plus micro sort of thing, which is basically what Green Black is this week. One of the things that scares me about green-black is even though I think you make very good points as far as how this deck is effectively doing micro against the big three, is it Phoenix, Dredge, Burn? If we want to make anything of these metagame percentages, and the percentages on Goldfish, they're certainly flawed. I'm not going to ever take them as gospel, but they're interesting. They, They give us something to look at, whereas otherwise there'd be no data. And these three decks combined are comprising something like 16% of the format. So less than one out of five of your matches should be against those three decks. So how do you make any decisions based on that kind of percentage? That's the other problem with going micro again, is that like when you're doing micro stuff, you're targeting very specific things and not just doing something stupid like turn three Karn or giant primeval Titan. And I don't know. It's tough to do in a, such an open metagame. I mean, you show up to your local tournament, none of these decks could be present. It could be yeah. person who always plays elves and mill mill person is there, or there's the three person mill compadres who always show up at the same deck. I mean, it could be absolutely anything. And I don't know. It's really hard to find a way to effectively target decks in modern because sometimes you just get blown out. Yeah. If I, if I was playing a local event, like an IQ or, you know, like the Thursday night moderns that we have at Mox Boarding House and stuff like that. I will either be testing a new deck or playing a deck that is just fundamentally strong and mm. using something like Golgari to like hard target a very specific metagame because I want $50 in store credit is not really a viable strategy. Uh, but right. if we're talking about going to regionals or a Grand Prix or something like that, where you know that you know, the people are going to be keyed into the metagame and 
I, I, I think that is more reasonable. And Goldfish is in this weird spot where it's like representative of winner's metagame, but not 100% there because it is taking in lists from like IQs and stuff like that, like these smaller tournaments right. also. And Magic Online, which is, I, I think it kind of like, what is what is the term where like the numbers all get kind of like smushed together? Like everything is closer to 2% than it is 10%. Because of Magic Online, because you only you basically will only get like one Is It Phoenix deck posted per right. week when it could yep. have been like ten of them to five owed, right? Yep, yep, that makes sense. And like I said, I don't think those are reflective necessarily of percentages. Just an interesting point. You mentioned regionals, which is going on this weekend. That's a super interesting tournament too, because for about fifty people on the planet, that's a super important tournament. Like it has incredible implications on where they're going to fall on the leaderboard for the player of the season race for star city for everyone else. It's kind of just a local tournament that has some nice prize support and they get to go out and have a good time with their buddies. And I I don't know that kind of very separate incentives is also going to do very interesting things to the metagame as well, which would also push me in a direction of not trying to hard target anything because it's really just attracting every player in the vicinity. And I I don't think there's any huge percentage of gunners at any one of those tournaments. It's just like there's a couple of people who really, really care. But for most people, it's just kind of their local tournament. Yeah, I I think that you're mostly correct about that. I think that it's it's a little bit higher level than that because the people who won't necessarily come out for IQs or their store level tournaments are going to come out for like a 200-person event that has reasonable cash prizes, right? Like, I, I think this is a big tournament for more than just 50 people. Okay, so just the stakes of it ups things a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that there's there's actually been... I've seen more buzz about this weekend's regionals than I think any other one before, because I don't know, there, there's like any number of factors where it is, it's like modern month, basically like every event this month effectively is modern. And right. there's, there's no like pro tour weekend this time. And there is stuff like, you know, the SCG uh, tour leaderboard type of stuff where it, it matters for like the people who are also trying to get like their second buy or even their first buy or, you know, just start accumulating points and everything because I, I think like the them bringing back the players' championship changed things a lot. Oh, for sure, that's a tremendous incentive. Uh, again, I I'm hard pressed to think that really. Uh, you have to have already been putting something together at this point if you're thinking players' championship. Otherwise, you're a bit far behind for this season, I think. So that leads me to believe that those incentives are only triggering for a small number of people, but you are correct. There's other incentives in a large tournament. One being prize support, the other just being getting together with a bunch of people and playing magic. That's an exciting venue and not something a lot of people get to do. We take our experience for granted where we travel all over the place, but a lot of people just play within their, their region and aren't looking to catch a flight to a GP. Sometimes that's even me, but uh, they're going to take advantage of the fact to be able to play a large tournament locally and be excited about that. So certainly that will have an impact. Well, I, I know that West Coast people in, in general are fairly starved for high level magic because it's difficult to get to. And, you know, there's not a lot of GPs. There's no SCG tour events or anything like that. Uh, so I think when these big events happen, people do actually care. Like I, I remember when it was like, like states and then uh, like TCG player states and like SCG mm. regionals and TCG player also had a regionals. Like people loved going to these big tournaments. Like all of those tournaments were huge. 
Yeah, I remember States when I lived in Las Vegas was like a pretty tremendous tournament. Uh, I will say, though, that SCG regionals this year only goes as far west as Dallas. It does not go any further than that. Oh, no. Yeah, West Coast will not be participating. That's too bad. I Yeah, I I played in one in Portland uh, like in 2014, I think, like once I got done with Wizards. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, I, I, I remember those tournaments happening out there. That's too bad. I'm sorry. West Coasters, yeah. I didn't mean to get your hopes up. Yeah, yeah. I, I would probably be playing this weekend if there was one closer. But unfortunately, there is not. Uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed for maybe season two regionals. We'll make a return to the West Coast. Fingers crossed. Yeah, that's that's a damn shame. Yeah. Well, it's tough. And it, one of the things that strikes me about living on the West Coast of the US now, and I don't want this to miss our for foreign listeners entirely, but you're exactly right. It's hard to get any kind of tournament scene going because – Everyone is so far apart, like coming from the East Coast where major city upon major city is on top of each other and you can get together a thousand people for a regional event very regularly. uh, It would be impossible on the West Coast because the metropolitan areas are just so sporadic and separated. Yeah. And and whenever there was an open in Portland, it would be like three, 350 people. And I'm sure. Yeah. It's just too far from too many things. Yeah. That that is a lot for a a West Coast tournament, but is not a lot for the numbers that SCG needs to hit in order to continue to run those events, you know? So, yep, for sure. But yeah, like every time they post the new, the new schedule and everything, people are like, Oh, why aren't you coming to, to Alabama? Or why is there only like one thing in Texas or like every single time people are like, yo, we want more magic. Give us more magic. So I, I think regionals is, is a big step in that because it is basically all over the place. Yeah. Support your local tournaments. That's how you get more local tournaments. Turns out. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I, I think if if the West Coast events had 600, 700 people, like we would probably still have them, you know? For sure. Yep. Pick of the week. What do you recommend that people play? I know that you would probably be playing Amulets, regional specifically. I, I think if you are experienced with Amulet, it's a great choice for regionals. Uh, I think it usually remains a fairly great choice because it does those linear things. But there is a competency threshold you certainly have to cross i don't want to sell it as an impossible deck because i actually think once you put in your time it's fairly easy like you do a lot of the same things in a lot of the same games sure you'll miss some of the more difficult games but you'll get them eventually however it's probably not a good time to play your first amulet tournament if you want to do something linear i still think tron is well positioned i think it's avoiding a lot of what these other decks are doing i don't know a lot about like tron versus prison decks but in general, you've been pretty happy playing those matchups, especially in post-board games where you get like your four nature's claims. They're usually fine. So those big mana decks, I'm still really into. I think four color prison is also a fine choice, kind of on the threshold of being an important new deck in the format. So I'll, I think you can pick that up safely. Me personally, I'm playing amulet, but I think all three of those choices are great right now. For regionals, I, I think it's rock. I think it's Golgari. You, you want to go in with something that is a good deck in a vacuum. I think that green-black is that. Uh, I agree that Amulet is that, too. Like, it is a, a powerful deck. And I think that you get to pick up percentage points against the most popular decks. And I think that people at regionals will, for the most part, be keyed in on, on those decks and, like, what they should be playing. And it, it will be tough uh, in the early rounds when you're playing against random nonsense and things right. like... Kalidus and Nile Spellbomb will probably not line up very well against everyone, 
But as as the tournament goes on, if you get to be like, you know, three, one, four, one, something like that, I, I think you'll have a pretty good time. Yeah, definitely hit us up on regionals. Let you know, let us know what you chose to play. Uh, I'm always interested to hear what people are doing well with or failing with. That's also interesting to me. I, I want to hear how things go wrong too. I like hearing the full picture, but especially if you're a rock supporter or an amulet supporter this weekend, I'd love to hear more about your tournament. Yeah, I also I'm, I'm curious about the why of deck selection that that people do too because. Yeah. We talk about like, oh, yeah, like, you know, Dredge and Burn are really good. Phoenix is really good. And for for Modern, it's a, a specific thing a lot of the times where it's like card availability definitely exists and definitely matters. But there are people out there who are not playing these decks that the hive mind agrees are the best decks. And I'm kind of curious to see why that is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like the person who's played ad nauseum for four years, right? I, I know several people like that who are just like, this deck is insane. I will always play it regardless of where the format goes. And that's always interesting to me, how you get to that place. Well, Ad Nauseam, I think, is another one of those decks like War Prison that could actually be pretty good right now. But Yeah, well, I'll say is, this. That has not always been the case. There's a reduced amount of Black Discard. The only real Black Discard that exists right now is in Grixis Death Shadow and maybe the Rock if that picks up, which is basically Ad Nauseam's greatest fear. You don't care about control. If there's faster combo, that's problematic, but you don't see a lot of that right now either. I mean, combo is a little bit slower as it stands. So yeah, I could I could buy Ad Nauseam 100%. When there's no Lilianas, basically, Ad Nauseam is ready to play. So our question for this week comes from Snook, and Snook asks, what are the top three cards you think will, re- will be reprinted in Modern Horizons? And we, we kind of talked about this earlier, uh, but didn't actually go into any specifics. And I know that Emma Handy is writing like a very extensive article on the subject, and I'm interested to see that. But what do you got for me, Brian? Like what, both kind of like what do you think will be reprinted? But like, I guess, what would you want to see reprinted out of these cards? Yeah, so these these kind of split the difference. There's, I would say, one I actually really want to be reprinted. All three, I think, are possible and are like good, reasonable inclusions that some people should be excited about. Number three would be Chain Lightning. I think like it's certainly good. It's certainly good enough. I think it is interesting at times. It's not just like a boring do three. Like there's some decisions to be made with it. Look, it can't just be that all new decks get tools and like the sexy decks get tools. Like it's not fair to leave burn behind. And I know that burn is like probably good enough as it stands and doesn't really need anything else. And adding chain lightning doesn't necessarily make the world a better place, but I do think you have to consider all the existing players currently present. So you can throw chain lightning into the mix. One of the things about it is I think it's like a little rules mucky. So probably isn't going to be super favored for that reason. And that would go to my number two pick, which is a card I actually like would be really excited to see. That's Wirewood Symbiote. I think that's one of the most fun cards to play in elf-based strategies. Those strategies could certainly use a shot in the arm. If there's a knock against it, again, I think the rule interaction is like pretty sloppy. Having that access to that ability once per turn, no real way of tracking it. It doesn't really fit with modern card design. So that's another knock against it. My number one inclusion would be Containment Priest because I think it's just like a cool, efficient answer. 
in decks that are floundering right now, quite frankly, like white creature based decks would appreciate having access to a card like that. That is a powerful hoser for something like Phoenix decks, uh, you know, any kind of reanimation strategies that might pop up through the breach nonsense. It's good to have outs to that kind of stuff. And I like adding containment priests to the format. I like containment priest. I definitely don't like chain lightning. I don't know. Like, if you want to buff burn, I think there's enough room to do that via standard sets like Skewer the Critics and stuff. Like, I think what burn really wants is like a good creature or uh, a stronger sideboard option, you know, not just another lava spike. Mm, okay. Yeah. That's kind of a boring take on it. I, I guess there's like the problem is that the legacy burn creatures are the creatures that are played in modern burn. So there's not really anything to reach for in that instance. And if you're going to find something for burn, I don't know. Like when I think about existing legacy cards, there's not really anything I want to throw into the mix. Like I'm not looking to get sulfuric vortex for these decks. That doesn't strike me as particularly fun. So if, if I want to give burn love, that's the best way I can do it. Maybe it's just better. Like you said, let standard take care of that. Yeah. Without going through like every single card ever made, basically, uh, the three that came to mind for me that I think would be fun because they're nostalgic and could, could potentially see play are uh, Nimble Mongoose, Firebolt, and Eladomri's Call. And then three that huh. I just kind of three that I kind of want are Predict, Diabolic Edict, and Circular Logic, just because I like those cards. But I, I don't necessarily know whether they'd be good or how they'd fit or whatever, but yeah, I think I think Goose, Firebolt, and Eladomri's Call would be cool. Predict makes me very excited because I have certainly cast many predicts in my life. I also don't know how good that would be, but I would be pleased to see it around. Diabolity is interesting. Is that like actually really good in the format? Not necessarily, but it would just be good to have. And then, you know, there are all these people saying that they want to print True Name Nemesis no, or whatever, no, no. which I just think <laughs> is crazy. But, yeah, that's you know, absolute it, nonsense. It would, it would it would give you uh, a reasonable out against things like that, you know. Can't, yeah, thankfully, go crazy. Thankfully, those things do not exist, and I'm very pleased that True Name Nemesis. I can't see that one making the cut. I would be very shocked. But I I mostly like your inclusions. I don't think Nimble Mongoose is like all that fun, and we're probably never going to see a Shroud creature ever again. So if we're again, if we're doing like how likely it is is it, I would disqualify it for that reason. Yeah, that's legit. I just think that it's kind of beloved and could potentially fit, but like it is really missing like the days sort of stuff. Yeah, and it's also adding another mechanic to the format, right? Like now you have a threshold card where there are no threshold cards, right? They're only in Odyssey. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that that's probably a knock against this inclusion as well. But I agree. I'd, I'd be interesting to have in the format. And certainly like those kind of teamer style decks would love having an option like that. I think it's unlikely though. I, I'm low on yeah, that. I mean, what do you, what do you want to do with Elder Ami's call? I think that one's a really interesting one to make your list. I just think it's, it's cool. And like, there's like Druid Vizier combo and okay. the, the various like court of calling decks. And like, we kind of have enough of this effect where it's like court of calling, collected company, Eldritch evolution, so I don't even necessarily know that Eladomri's Call would fit in anywhere, but I, I just think it's a, a cool card. People love their toolbox decks, and there's there's stuff like Vanifar now, where 
I don't know, whatever. Like the, these decks are like a, a shade underpowered compared yeah. to everything else. And I think it's just like give them more options, even if it's kind of more of the same, you know, like maybe just finding like a particular silver bullet is is super important and it's more important for it to be cheaper than Court of Calling effectively. So, right. you know, maybe we want to build like Evolution El- Eldamri's Call this week or whatever, like whatever. It's just a yeah. fun card. No, I, c- I could buy this one. This one makes a lot of sense. And uh, if again, if there's an archetype that could use a shot in the arm, it's those kind of fair white and green creature decks. You know, I'm trying to get there via Containment Priest and Wirewood Symbiote. Uh, I think this is an interesting way to do it as well. Although this pushes things more in that linear way that we're talking about, right? Like this encourages combo building for the most part. Whereas, I mean, my assumption is the goal is to get away from that. But that's just a complete assumption. I have nothing to base that on. So maybe I'm just wrong. Well, what if there's like tier two stuff? Like maybe you find like Necroticus with this or whatever. Like obviously you're in, right? Yeah, you said the word Necroticus. So you know I'm in. (laughs) You had me right there. Yeah, as as for predict specifically, I think blue could use like a good divination type of thing. Like there, there's stuff like thirst for knowledge, but for the most part, it's like well, there's there's not really a good one. Like Charticor saw some play in the initial Phoenix builds, mm-hmm. but I think blue decks could could really use a nice like a, a bigger piece of velocity slash card drawing than just ops or visions, that sort of stuff. And I think that could help diversify decks a little bit and make is, control a little bit more viable. Is AK too good? Maybe. I don't know. I, I like AK a lot. I just think that... It, so if, if Predict had never seen play in Miracles and it was this card that people didn't know existed, I would just not want to reprint it. Mm. But now it's kind of on people's radar as being this sort of sweet card. And granted, it had like since he's dividing top and stuff to set it up, but you still have stuff like serum visions. So right. I think predict uh, could potentially see play and AK would absolutely see play. Right. And, right. Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure like how far down the rabbit hole you want to go of like, okay, we're obviously juicing these decks versus like, we'll give them more viable toys to play with and then they'll figure it out. Yeah, predicts interesting. I mean, does it still hang with the absence of brainstorm and ponder? Because I mean, we see a lot of predict now, but without those two cards to kind of supplant it, how are you reliably hitting on predict? You just know. can't, you right? Just, you just jam. <laughs> you just get lucky. Twenty islands. Let's go. Sure. Why not? Uh, I mean, I, I think that if predict is the card, it probably misses based on that factor. I think you're right that that would be a good thing to insert into this set is some kind of blue card drawing. AK would be my instinct, but I also am a little afraid of that card. It could be too good in a lot of contexts and maybe not what you want to give the blue decks right off the bat. But look, they need a lot of help. They're way behind at this point. So who knows? AK is also weird because it counts both graveyards. But right. Outside right. of those really weird play patterns, I think AK is a card that you could just slot into Is It Phoenix pretty easily. Like you loot the first one away or thought scour it, and then you just mm-hmm. start going ham yeah, into the late game. It. And then, yeah. And then uh, stuff like Rix's Death Shadow could like sideboard them if it wanted to. Like I, I think it would be cool. I just don't know that it would actually be good for the health of the format. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're going to get to see what, uh, what, we have offered soon and all these theoretical thought experiments will get to actually live some of them out. And I I can't really imagine anything more exciting. Like it feels like 
regardless of what this set brings to the table, it's going to feel like modern is new again. And th- my fondest memories of modern, as horrible and busted as the format ultimately turned out to be, the lead up period to the first modern pro tour where everything seemed possible and you were just testing every deck available. Those were really exciting times. And it kind of feels like the printing of modern horizons will bring us back to that state, at least for a little while. It's kind of exponential too, because there's 250 cards and maybe not all of them are actually viable in the format, but it's possible that there's a seed or something along those lines that might be intentional or not that could then get paid off in future sets and stuff. So I I think that uh, modern will likely be pretty different. And I I think that's mostly for the better as long as it's juicing archetypes that are not quite there, you know, rather than just like, Hey, let's build or like, let's make another blue cantrip or another arc light Phoenix or whatever. And just like make the best decks already even better. Yeah. I I think things will be done with a little bit more tact and finesse than that. At least I have my fingers crossed that that's the case. I would hope so, but we'll see. That's game. 